Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. For sure, those last three years where I was preaching all this stuff, you know, running addictions groups, I was going home. And yeah, I was drinking myself stupid, you know, every night. And for sure, you feel like a hypocrite. My guest today is named Jennifer Denny. She's an addiction counselor and a men's penitentiary in Canada. Welcome to the show, Jen. So, hey, uh, yeah, my name's Jen Denny, and uh, I am, I just actually celebrated 29 months sober from alcohol the other day. I spent 18 years in active addiction, um, battling alcoholism. That's half my life. I'm 36 now. The irony of it all is I am an addiction counselor with adult um, male offenders in a federal institution in Canada. So it's really funny because I go to work every day, you know, and my job is to teach people how to get better in one of the hardest places you're ever going to try to get better and try to be sober and kind of living like a hypocritical life there, teaching, teaching, you know, how to get sober and stay sober, but never kind of walk in the line myself until I got sober in 2019. And here I am rocking 29 months, but, uh, you know, 29 months in, I think it's scarier than, you know, day one really as a, a true addict, I'll tell you, I'm more scared to lose this overtime I have now this deep in than I was probably the first couple rounds when I was getting sober myself. I'm I'm really intrigued with with your story and I'm curious how you got into that counseling role yeah. and obviously you mentioned that you were drinking while you were doing that and yeah. feeling like a hypocrite so I'm just kind of curious like how all that played out how you got into that position and then maybe what the events were where you decided maybe I should actually get sober and and maybe practice some of the things that I've been preaching Yes you know it's funny um well, so I have a degree in behavioral psychology. I've always been obsessed with like the human mind and, you know, kind of how us humans work. I also just kind of, that's the only thing I'm good at. I'd say I've always told people I'm not good at math, reading, writing, English, science, French, any of it. The one thing I've been good at my whole life is humans. I'm good at interacting with humans, kind of understanding, reading their vibes. And anyhow, so yeah, I, I had my schooling and and right from school, I started in uh, 2009. I got a gig as I was finishing my degree in one of the maximum security institutions. And that just kind of sparked my career. The beginning was, you know, I worked in um, all max facilities for the first seven years of my career, ranging from, you know, really creepy stuff to just bad stuff. But now where I am, the prison I work in, it's uh, all three uh, 
security levels, maximum, medium, and minimum. But I really predominantly work um, providing like psych- psychoeducation to the inmates, right? So my job is very every day. It's kind of the same thing where I'm doing the addictions work mainly. We we provide other groups, but you know I'm doing individual and group therapy with inmates and the last six years I'd say of my career and that's when my alcoholism again I haven't I, I got sober in 2019 but for sure those last three years where I was preaching all this stuff you know running addictions groups I was going home and yeah I was drinking myself stupid you know every night and for sure you feel like a hypocrite boy did that really put fire under the wheel of kind of the shame guilt cycle right that keeps us sick but you know I'll tell you they're the reason I I started to go, wait, 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 you hypocrite. You can't come in here and tell these guys, you know, you preach all this stuff. But I, I, I'll, t- you know, they're, um, they've taught me more than anything in the whole world because watching those men, you know, where they live and each day they're sober, I tell them like, you guys deserve a medal. Right. And that's what made me the wake up call was like, wow, I've got everything. I get to go home. I go home to where I decide. Right. And I, I got to make something better of my life. And that's sort of where, yeah, that hypocrisy of living that double lie, right? And and they know, you know, as an addict, you call it, you know, that's the best thing you are as an addict, you call out an addict, right? But I'll tell you now, since I've been sober, I love doing my job because you can't bullshit, right? The guys know that. They know they can't bullshit me because I call them on it. Yeah, it's, um, it's fascinating. It keeps me sober. You know, when I went back, I took some time off in 2019. I went to a treatment facility for alcoholism and and when I went back to work I, I was a bit off about six months and I was real nervous you know you go back if you, you got stigmas in terms of you know you're a working professional you know I, there was an intervention before I went to treatment you know with all my working colleagues you got psychologists social workers you know but going back I struggled with you know what am I going to do here do I you know hide the fact that I'm an alcoholic or do I ride it out? And I'm, I'm loud and proud, right? Like I preach it. I tell, you know, like any client I work with, that's, that's a part of me, right? I don't hide that. And, and it certainly helps build rapport in group settings and it helps, you know, um, kind of, you know, set that setting that, Hey, I'm, you know, like they're, they're learning from me going, wait, you know, okay, I can, I can kind of like believe the word she's saying, right? If, if, if uh, she's got to live these words too now, and she's, she's actually going to preach them properly. So you get more buy-in, you get more buy-in. So I'd be curious, how, how did you end up doing work in prisons? And, and what was that experience like, especially in the beginning? I'm sure there was, I'm just thinking if, if it was me, I would, I would definitely feel a sense of nervousness and just kind of just a general unease. Yeah, you know, I love that. And I love this topic. I haven't talked about this in a long time. I love um, when people ask that, because for sure, that's your first thing, right? And I started my career young, I was 22, you know, young female working in a max security or, or, you know, in Canada. Yeah, yeah, it it was nerve wracking, I guess, at beginning being so young, but you, you have to have a certain personality type, right? Like, I hate to say this, but, you know, you cage humans and, and, what are caged humans going to do? They're going to have to use their instincts and their best, the best ways they know how. So unfortunately, sometimes that does mean that you always got to watch your back, right? No matter what. And I'm just trying to, you know, I, I try to respect all the men I work with. So I don't want to just come out right and say, hey, you know, you got to protect yourself in a prison because there's animals or whatever. But there's animals everywhere, right? 
And um, you definitely need a certain personality type. you got to be tough, but you also have to kind of be able to like get on their level. You know what I mean? You got to be able to talk um, authentically. I, I say it's kind of like talking to addicts, right? Like, you, you know, you talk to addicts. This is your profession. You talk to addicts and you can tell where there's authenticity and kind of maybe how far people are along in their sobriety process even, you know what I mean? I don't know. When you talk to people, you know, just being an addict, I find you can sit there and pick up different uh, vibes or energies from guys and, and working with inmates, you got to ride the energy vibe. You know what I mean? You got to be sure you're paying attention to, especially running a group, you know, you got to make sure you're paying attention to what's going on, who's doing what. And uh, there's no, the, the number one thing, that I, I like to tell people because people when they ask me like what's it like to work with inmates there's never like an officer around so I go in plain clothes like I dress normal right I work in like an office and either the inmates go in like a group setting or they go in your office and it's just you guys right like people always assume there's like you and an officer and then the inmate and so if you're nervous boy I tell you they're like bees or horses they know and they'll they'll get what they can get if they have to because that's what I mean right I was told you don't give them a pencil or a piece of paper. Like the day one, it was like, you give in an inmate nothing because you gave them one piece of paper, one piece of line paper. The next thing you know, you know what I mean? Like they're whatever. So that's kind of the rule I stick to. You got to really kind of stick to your guns, unfortunately. Right. Because in my role, I'm working with humans, right? Like it's different than security officers. They have a really difficult job, right? Like their, their role is quite different behind the walls where mine is sitting and and talking to the human, the human that that's there, and you you got to make sure you balance it because you know you hear of some scary stories where, you know the, I hate to say these words, but people get conned over quick, right? You got to always stay on your toes, kind of where where I work. And so, are the majority of the inmates that you work with are they coming to this program voluntarily, or is this something that they're having to do as part of their sentence? Yes, voluntary program. So it's really cool. You get guys that are, you know, they're really, they're eager to learn something. You know, they're eager to better themselves and make something of themselves. Well, they're behind the walls, right? Um, unfortunately, you know, the sometimes we can't offer enough services depending on what's going on in the world, right? Like with COVID, it really sucks. It sucks a lot. Uh, yeah, I know it's really cool. It's cool to be able to work with guys that they want to do it. You know, they're hungry to learn how to be sober. They're hungry to learn how to live a different life when they get out because they have a family they miss. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. Well, that that's good that that they're doing it of their own free will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I feel like I feel like there's there's basically two camps, at least from my experience of going to meetings and stuff. There's people that are there because they want to be there and they want to they want to find the help. And there's people that are there because they're on probation, parole, their mom and dad make them whatever the circumstances are. There's people that are forced to be there and there's people that choose to be there. And you can always tell the two apart because the ones that want to be there are engaged. They're interacting. The ones that are forced to be there in the back, they got their arms folded. They're just they're just there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you know what, I'll tell you, uh, you know, if you frequent some NA meetings, you see a lot more of that, like the, the resistance, right? Like I see it because I do both. Like, you know, I, you know, in the community, I, I go to meetings and I do all that stuff. And, and it's fascinating to watch that, like exactly what you just said. It's neat to see the, you know, on the inside, the guys kind of, they have a different perspective sometimes when they show up. And because I work in the, I mean, because where I work and I live in a small community, you sometimes see faces in meetings, right? That you go, oh, I, 
where do I recognize that face from? And yeah, you can definitely tell when people are kind of forced. I mean, uh, like you'd say to any addict, the same as a guy on the inside or someone on the street trying to get sober, they're never going to get sober till they're ready to get sober. So I'm kind of thankful that we don't usually have clients coming that are being forced, right? Because then you kind of feel like maybe it's a waste of your resources or whatever. Mm, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was actually talking about that a little bit earlier today, just that that idea that we have to we ourselves have to be ready for change. We can't have that forced upon us. It doesn't matter how many times my friends or my family tell me I need to stop using or drinking. Like until I get to that mm -hmm. point where I'm ready, nothing's going to change. Yes, exactly. I don't know. They teach me a lot, man. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say about my job. I'm, I'm very grateful every day that, uh, you know, I get to do what I do because, you know, they tell me that I help them a lot, but I would sincerely say that I gain way more. Well, in a group setting, everyone's learning, right? We're all learning, everybody's sharing. So um, I'm so grateful for what I do. And uh, you definitely have to have the a certain type of character and you, and you gotta, you gotta love what you do to work behind the walls of a prison. It's, it's dark, you know, it's real dark behind there, a lot of sadness and you gotta be able to protect yourself and walk in and out of it. You know what I mean? And leave it behind the walls. So yeah, it's a fascinating job and it certainly has been fascinating. Again, I'm on my path with sobriety, getting to do that work with men who I would say over 90% of the men that are go to are in my groups are behind those walls because of addiction. You know what I mean? Like these men are behind those walls because of some other shit. They're back there because of addictions. We have a really sad, broken world right now. And I, I think for me, that's part of, you know, where my passion for what I do comes in and how it keeps me so strong and dirty. You know what I mean? In like the course of what I wanted to do. Cause I kind of said earlier, like when I, I went to treatment, I went back to work in 2019 and, I thought when I went back to work, maybe I would change. Maybe I wouldn't go back to mental health, that it would be too much. You know, you don't really know until you start doing it. And I'm really glad that I, I continued to do it because it helps keep me sober, man. You know, you go in and you see people that have really lost it all and it makes you, it makes you look at what you have. And I, I listened to your story and you were sharing about having this um, vision of your funeral, you know, and I often think of that, you know, at your funeral. And we talk about that a lot with, you know the inmates and in group about you know at the end of your life and what's going to look like and stuff with addictions especially and you know you said it really well with you know like if you've only got a couple people you got like you know your mom your dad your you know a sibling or something there and they're all thinking you messed up your life look at what you had and and for me when I finally decided okay I'll go to treatment I'll get better like I got to do more it was because, yeah, I was going in every day. You know, I was at rock bottom in my life. I had to make a change. You know, I was drinking excessively. It was getting really bad. But that was a big part of it that, you know, um, looking at these men that had everything taken from them. And then here I am preaching this stuff, not living it. And I've got a beautiful life on the outside that I could lose any minute because the drinking had fully consumed my my life. You mentioned that the inmates are good at reading people and stuff. Did any of them ever call you out on it? Did any of them ever notice that you were hung over or did they ever ask you specifically, like if you were in recovery? No, no. Well, they always, they do. They do. They'll uh, just like, uh, you know, like I said, I went to a treatment center. Everyone wants to know the background of each counselor, right? The inmates ask you and, and we, you kind of give a little spiel. So they want to know 
kind of have you ever struggled with any of that but no I was uh, I was a professional man you know like most people in my life had no idea how bad it was right like I was I concealed it quite well I mean I wasn't drinking I was just drinking at night but the for sure you know people they had no idea I was a really good functioning alcoholic and uh, I hit it well but um, no surprisingly they do they'll call people out they do (laughs) but no uh, no I never I never got called out funny enough that's a good question I like that. I don't really know how to phrase the question, but I know, I know how drugs get into prison, but realistically, like how easy is it to get drugs or, or alcohol in prison? And you know, what, what are the chances? Is it easier to get it inside as opposed to outside? I'm just kind of curious. Well, you know what? I love that you brought that up because I'd say, you know, in the position that I'm in, I, I always say it's easier to get it on the inside and I always tell the guys you deserve a medal like you're in here there's drugs everywhere and you're in one place where you certainly I know I tell them all the time I wouldn't I wouldn't be sober in here you nuts but um they tell me it's much easier on the outside surprisingly enough they always say oh no 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 miss they they always call you they always call me miss but they're always like no 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 miss it's you know they they claim it's busier on the outside that there's more temptations but I don't know I you know to be honest I I think I I don't know. I think where they live, what else you got to do but indulge in what's readily available everywhere, right? Um, It's unfortunate, but that's definitely um, that's one of the hardest points of being in a prison, I guess. Right? Is that there the drugs are readily available? How they get them, I don't know. We'll leave that up to I'll just guess magic. But no, I I don't know. I don't know, man. It's 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 scary. It it makes it scary, you know, because there's people in there trying to do their job. And if you've got men that are hopped up on who knows what, right? And right now in the world of drugs, it's terrifying what's out there, right? And you know, you got these men that don't know how to control their emotions anyways. We got a cage full of men and they're all hopped up on drugs. It puts a it puts our, you know, security off. It puts all staff, but especially you know, the correctional officers in, in a lot of danger. And it's a, it's a scary world. It's a, it's a dark, dangerous place, man. Yeah, definitely. That's uh yeah. I hadn't thought about all the repercussions that could come from that many people stuck in a small area getting high, but yeah, but I've also heard it said that, you know, you have, when you're in prison, you have all day to think about different oh, yeah. ways to like, get stuff in where to hide yeah. things you know you, you have it's nothing their house, better to man. do mm-hmm. yeah it's their house man that's what i always tell people they'll notice anything your nail color change your you know what i mean they notice everything is exactly what you just said they're sitting there all day and it is their house and like you said about them deserving a medal i mean if there's if it's as readily available as you're saying it is then yeah i mean i I've I've thought about that before. Like if I went to prison, would I be able to stay clean? I mean, it it seems to me like this is one of the lowest points in your life. If you're going to use prison would be the place to do it. Cause it's like, what, what else do I have to lose is kind of the mentality that I can see a lot of people having. And it might even be the mentality that I would have if I was going to be in there for an extended period of time. I don't know. That'd be a really difficult situation for sure. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's something that I think there's not enough focus on, but, you know, a lot of men, they go in never really, you know, having too many issues with whatever, (laughs) and they come out addicted to all kinds of stuff, because, 
yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a dark place yeah and it sends <laughs> there's not much to do right like you said twiddle your thumbs all day idle hands what are we gonna do so if you can without maybe without like disclosing names or whatever what are some of the craziest situations that you've been involved with inside of prison oh oh god i've had some crazy if you can if you can share them obviously i know there's probably some details yeah share because i don't want you to get in trouble yeah you know well i don't know i've seen some some crazy things you know you see some low stuff that people get to you know if you want to talk addictions right i let me just think before I tell a story here, right? What what can I share? Uh, I've seen men in, what I'll say, you know, working behind those bars, you see men at points of despair that you think you'd never see. You know, I've seen, you know, men, uh, you know, eat their own poop, you know, they're pooping out kinder eggs and popping it back in their mouth to hide drugs. And, and, and that's heartbreaking to watch, right? You're watching a grown man doing this and you think gee first of all we know you have the goddamn drugs buddy like you know what i mean like you're gonna you're gonna sit in the cell and do the repeat until you hand over i don't remember who it is but there's a rapper he has a song about watching you know throwing a pack of cigarettes on the ground and watching men literally kill each other for it i've I've seen that stuff like that's real that stuff is real you see i mean i haven't seen kill each other um, I've worked with a lot of men. I've lot, you know, I've uh, men overdosing, men being killed, that kind of stuff, and and that's tragic. I I will say one of the most tragic things is to hear of a man when he's lost his life to an overdose behind bars. Right? You know, what do you? you those men ha- all have families at home, and to think of that's where you know you kind of go out, and it's it's fairly traumatizing. There's a lot of that stuff that's really traumatizing in prison, but. Definitely, I'd say it's the lowest levels of despair that you see, and you just it breaks your heart for human souls out there. So, what what is that motivation? What keeps you wanting to come back, and what what helps motivate you and keep you from from falling into that pit of despair? What are some of like the successes that you've seen, and what are some of the some of the beautiful moments that you've experienced? Like success with inmates or myself? <laughs> uh, both, either. Um, you know, I'd say. When you see a guy that gets life, so I know um, in Canada, it's thought that we don't actually have life behind prison because they get out. They don't actually get out of prison. If you get life in Canada, you are on parole for the rest of your life, which means you can't go anywhere that they sell liquor or anything. If, you, if, if you're charged, anyways, long story short, men never get out of prison here if you're sentenced to life. And if you do, it's basically like living under the most like craziest parent ever, right? So these men cycle back through and you get what we call the revolving door, right? So I've worked with men now where I am that I've seen them go in and out of the, the big house, I like to call it, but you know, they go in and out of the walls of that institution and they come back six or seven times in a few years. And, and it's always the addiction cycle and that's heartbreaking to watch. But then you see some men, they have a life sentence. So you know, they're never going to get out. You know, at the end of the day, they know that their life kind of is really bleak, I would say. And they wake up every day and they fight to stay sober. You know, I work with these men that, you know, they're in prison 15 years and they've been sober 14 and they're getting up every day and they're living sober. And I'm, you know, for me, that was just shocking. Right. And and, and I can't go home and, and make it, you know, when I was in my binge drinking cycles, you know, 
it would always be Sunday was always my favorite day to drink, but you know, I'd go, okay, I'm not going to drink till the weekend. And then of course, you know, it's Monday at noon and I'm already planning on what liquor store I'm going to stop to on the way home. Right. So you feel real pathetic when you're living that way and you're walking in somewhere getting paid to teach men to stay sober and you know that, hey, wait, they can't even go home and talk to their families. And and even worse, they might get an hour on the phone later tonight that they can talk, but there's like a lineup of 15 guys and there's a whole, you know what I mean? Like, it's just watching those guys get and stay sober certainly gives me the appreciation for how hard they work. But it shows me that the harder I work in my own life, no matter what I'm thinking or feeling, you know, on that day. You you can get through just today, man. If you can get through those 24 hours, you can pretty much do anything. What are some of the daily practices that you've implemented in your life that you think have helped you be successful in staying sober, whether that be like prayer, meditation, books that you read? Um, what are what was your daily routine look like? Well, bingo, you just named two. Um, so prayer, big time. You know, for me, the biggest thing was finding a higher power. I fought that for 18 years. You know, I went in and out of the rooms of NAAA and it was always the higher power that freaked me out. So I walked away. But I'll tell you, it was through after I went to treatment, I, you know, I got sober, sober, I was staying sober, but it was really through music and meditation that I found a higher power and that I was able to actually live healthy and clean the way I do now. I've lived sober on and off for years in the sense that I like to use that term sober, like not drinking, right? Like I cannot drink, mm-hmm. but the way I live now is I have faith. I have a higher power and meditate every day to connect with that higher power. And I think finding our higher power, unfortunately has a lot to do with really overcoming some of the darkness of addiction. You know, people don't realize that it's our, it's our ego. We got to fight our ego because our ego wants us to stay sick. And our, you know, so as soon as we can find our soul, which is our heart, but that's when you can find that, that's when you find true love for yourself, right? And without that self-compassion or that self, self-loving self piece, I feel like humans will never, at least for me, my sickness was so bad that I could never learn to love myself until I was able to identify that I had an ego. Um, and that was through music in, in, um, actually I'd say Macklemore, I give him full credit for all that, but he definitely helped with my sobriety and then finding out that I had to identify what that ego was and beat the crap out of it, man, because that my ego wanted me to stay in the shame cycle, right? Stay sick. And once I found that and found a God, I, now I can, you know, every day that I'm, I wake up and I don't feel good. Like I'm going to have a bad day. I pray, man. And you know, my brain's just talking. I don't, you know, I don't. I just do my own thing and I, I meditate. I, uh, I drink a lot of coffee. I'll admit that I drink a lot of coffee, but definitely it's connecting to myself and uh, dropping down into my heart, not letting my head win. Cause when I, when I sit in my head, I start to ruminate on old thoughts and that old addictive thinking sometimes gets brought up because it's important to remember that when we're doing good, when we're doing really good, our addiction, whatever it is, it's in the background doing push-ups, you know, trying to build themselves stronger and come back. That monster's always going to be there somewhere. So you kind of got to, I, I think I'm like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, always on the lookout for <laughs> when's, when's the, the demon going to show up again. And uh, I'm ready to battle it, man. It's a long, it's a long journey. 
I, I love talking about addictions. I can do it any day. Anyone that wants to have a conversation about it, I'm, I'm game. I, I love it. Awesome. And if some, if someone was wanting to have that conversation, what are some places that they can reach you? What are your, what are your usernames? How can they find you? Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm the humble alcoholic 19. Absolutely. Always up for conversation, talking. You can find me on there. That's the only place I'm, I am right now, but I, I love it. Like a, I'm definitely out to help any humans that are either just starting the struggle halfway through, you know, maybe you're 19 years and you screwed up, whatever, man, we're all there to help each other and we can't do it without each other. I love that message. And, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today and and sharing part of your story, talking about the work you do with inmates. I, I really respect that, that you do that for a living. And I can't imagine that it would be easy to do that day in and day out. So thank you for what you're doing for the recovery community. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and and talking. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was such a, such a joy. I'm so blessed. Thank you. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. And I think that the work that you're doing is absolutely incredible. So thank you for doing the job that you do. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.